have your Bibles with you. You got to have your Bibles. Can't really get much out of Bible class without your Bibles. Amen. So we want to do a study. We've been doing a study for the past numbers of years on uh, the tabernacle, and uh, we'll uh, be finishing that up soon. Uh, and I believe it has been helpful to us, and we've learned some things, and we'll be moving uh, in a few weeks into uh, something uh, different. But we have been talking about the revelation of the tabernacle, and it might be good before we go much further this morning to just do a little bit of review and just touch on some of the points that we've looked at. Uh, we haven't had much of a review in the past few weeks, and uh, just to lock our minds in to uh, what, uh, what exactly we're talking about. Uh, the tabernacle, as you remember, God uh, sets uh, His people free from bondage in Egypt. He brings them uh, out into the wilderness, and there He communicates to them the revelation of His law and the revelation of the tabernacle. And uh, what, uh, what was the purpose, the main purpose of the tabernacle? Why did God want there to be a tabernacle? What does the word tabernacle mean, for one thing? It means to dwell. Okay. Brother Olmsted? Okay, the purpose, as we've seen, that God would dwell with men. Okay, this is God's purpose. What does tabernacle mean? Just a little word. Tent. Tent. Okay. Now, why didn't God, if, uh, if uh, they're building all over the world of massive temples and, and things with gold domes and, and uh, wonderful uh, uh, temples of gold and marble and all these things, uh, here's God coming to dwell with His people, the nation of Israel. Why does He say, no, you just build me a tent? I mean, he's God. Why, why the tent? Why not some glorious uh, structure? Why not some uh, Sears and Roebuck building? Something glorious. Uh, Brother Paola? Okay, good. Another thought? Shows the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Excellent. Okay, he dwelt in a tent because his people dwelt in tents. This is a fantastic revelation about the nature of God. This is a key revelation about the nature of God. We find this world is choking to death on religion. Religion is uh, that, that thing that says, okay, uh, God is somewhere up there and He's expecting us to climb up to Him to have some uh, uh, strange experience, to go through some ritual, to uh, be involved in some kind of thing where we can finally reach God. But the revelation of the true and living God is none, nothing like that. Uh, that revelation is God of His own initiative, of His own love, of His own care to come down and to meet people. People right where they are. Amen. The greatest revelation of this is found where? 
in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and the Word became flesh, and literally, the Greek says, and tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The revelation of Jesus of Nazareth is not uh, God coming and uh, living in some temple somewhere, uh, some guru at the top of a mountain in Tibet, uh, say, you come to me if you want to, uh, if you want revelation, if you want to be heavy, you come to me. Here's Jesus uh, uh, as the Son of the living God coming right to where people dwelt. Amen. Okay, so God dwells with His people. God has a desire to dwell with His people. And He gives this revelation of the tabernacle. And we find this, uh, that there is an outward, uh, an outer uh, fence of linen. We have a uh, gate. We have here the brazen laver. Uh, I'm sorry, the brazen altar. Here the brazen laver. Then we have the tent itself with the Holy of Holies and uh, the Holy Place. I better not fill that in. Let's call this, let's write it up here. Holy Place. And here we have the altar of incense. We have the golden candlestick. And we have the altar uh, I'm sorry, the table of showbread. And so here's God that wants to dwell with men. And so we uh, have a people, here's God dwelling in the uh, holy place, the holy of holies, and he has come. This is his revelation. He desires to meet with men. But uh, when men approach to God, when men desire to uh, have an experience with God, to know God, to have an encounter with God, to be made right with God, they come across, they come to a barrier. And what did we say, and, and why did we say uh, this barrier is? What is it, and why? Uh, what does that mean? Mike Elsis? Okay, the linen fence, this is white linen, this is a symbol of God's righteousness. And so, here's God that has come to dwell with men. Men would approach to God and would immediately come in contact with the linen fence. That immediately their hearts and their minds would be struck by the fact that there is a barrier between them and God. There is a barrier. Now, that barrier is not a, a mental barrier. That, that somehow, if we just knew more about God, then if we could understand theology, and if we could uh, know all the ins and outs of all the major religions, or if we could uh, uh, know the Bible from cover to cover, uh, then we could meet and have fellowship with God. The problem is not a mental problem. It's not a problem of simply dimension there, where God dwells in another dimension of, uh, and He's eternal and infinite and immortal. He is all of those things, but that that is our problem. If we could just lift ourselves into another dimension by meditation or by uh, dropping some acid or by doing something, then somehow we'd be able to transcend this dimension and would be able to encounter God. That's not the problem. 
problem isn't one of, uh, of, uh, of religion, of, uh, that, uh, well, there's just, uh, God's really into rituals. He likes to see burning candles. He likes to see people kneeling down, getting up, and kneeling down, and getting up. And, and uh, uh, that's, uh, it's a religion. That's not the problem. The barrier that the tabernacle teaches is that the barrier between us and God is a moral barrier. Now, that upsets us. We don't like that. That says you and I are sinners. Now, we just like to think that we just need a little bit more understanding or a little deeper revelation, and that's all. We're good at heart. We just need to, uh, you know, if God would just tell us a little bit about himself, we'd, we'd figure it all out. Well, no, we really wouldn't. The barrier between us and God is a moral barrier, and that is true today. The reason that men feel that God is a million miles away is not a dimensional thing. It's not a mental thing. It's not a religious thing. It's a moral thing. See, God isn't a million miles away. God's omnipresent. That means He's everywhere. He's everywhere. But you feel a million miles away from Him because you're a million miles away from Him morally. Something has to happen. And so we found that there was provided one entrance, one alone. And that is this gate uh, that was made of uh, blue and, and purple and scarlet. And uh, what did we find that this was a picture of? Somebody else. Nick? Picture of Jesus Christ. Can you remember why? Okay. And we had the, the, the blue that symbolized divinity, and we have the red that symbolized humanity. We've got God and man. The reconciling of men and God because of their moral problem came when God became flesh and took our punishment. The, the entrance, the only way to God is through this one gate. And this, uh, obviously, the, uh, in the Old Testament, this is a picture, this is a type of the Messiah that was to come, Jesus, uh, who uh, was at the same time both God and man, King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, and there's only one entrance. And here we had the brazen altar made of brass. Brass is a symbol of what? Ken? Judgment, okay. There's no relationship with God. How do we... The way that that sin problem is dealt with is not by analysis. It's not by uh, some uh, uh, group counseling. It's not by uh, religion or any of these things. That sin has to be judged. And so that sin uh, is either going to be judged with uh, uh, the righteous sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary or you and I will one day pay ourselves for that sin. Okay, so we, when we come to Jesus, uh, there's an admitting that I'm a sinner and a judging of that sin. Say, that is sin, but I believe that Jesus died in my place and I can freely receive salvation. Not a, not a religion. Not a bunch of rules and regulations. Not any of that sort. It's an encounter with a living Son of God. The brazen labor we saw was a picture of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, the Word of God and the cleansing of the Word of God. We entered in and we've looked at the candlestick, which brings uh, uh, light and which is the purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ. And now we've come to the table 
of showbread. Amen. Well, that's good. You folks have been paying attention. Amen. We want to, if someone could read for us, uh, Exodus 25, verses 23 through 40. And then if somebody could find for us Leviticus 24, 5 through 10. Somebody can find that in old tossing. Amen. Go ahead and read that Exodus as soon as you find it. Did I find it? Did I ask somebody to read it? Brother Bernier. Uh, 25, 23 through 40, right. Okay, great. Thank you. Then uh, Leviticus, uh, whatever that was, 24, 5 through 10. Okay, so we've looked at the table of showbread. We've uh, gone over that the uh, table itself is a picture of the Church of Jesus Christ that is upholding the showbread itself, the bread of faces or the bread of the presence, literally in the Hebrew. And we're talking about uh, there a symbol of Jesus, uh, the Messiah, that were, would come, that men would feed upon the Son of God and uh, they would find life. And so we're talking about something that has to do with fellowship, the priests would eat at this table every week. Uh, they would replace the bread, eat the old bread. That would be a time of fellowship and of sharing of these two. And so we're looking at a picture of fellowship. And we first need to understand that the beginning of fellowship is our relationship with Jesus. Okay, when you, you and I got saved, we didn't join a religion, we didn't join a church, we had an encounter with Jesus Christ, we were born again, and at that moment we began a relationship with a living person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We want to look at some scriptures, I believe we looked at these last week, but uh, this will give us, uh, we need to look at these again to, to carry through. Revelation 3.20 Someone over here, Ron Gandolfo, Bill Kimball, John 6, 51 through 53, 1 John 1, 3 through 7, uh, Lincoln, and uh, John 17, 3, uh, Brother Bernier, and uh, Bill Hunt, Philippians 3, 10. Okay, so we begin in our experience of salvation, we have a relationship that has begun with Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.20. Okay, here's Jesus speaking in the book of Revelation. It's an invitation to every, every person. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. Again, that is uh, that eating together that's a picture of fellowship and of relationship and the invitation to salvation is not an invitation to church membership it's not an invitation to join some religious club it's an invitation to a relationship with the son of god john 6 51 through 53 amen okay here's jesus saying okay i'm the bread that has come down from heaven 
unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part in me. And we read that and we say, man, what does that mean? And uh, the people at that day said, uh, uh, that sounds pretty weird, and uh, we're getting out of here. And uh, many have taken that uh, and ritualized that and said, well, that means communion, and, and communion really is the body and the blood of Jesus, and, and have reduced it to this pagan uh, custom and ritual. And Jesus meant nothing of the sort. He says, I am the bread, me personally. Jesus Christ, and you're going to have to eat me. You're going to have to drink me. This is an, an experience that you have with me, not with, with some wafers and some uh, juice, not with some uh, bread and some wine. I, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. There's a place for that, we understand, but Jesus isn't talking about that. He's talking about himself. And so our experience of salvation does, it needs, to, needs to be that we have an encounter with Jesus Christ where He, in our eating, we, we bring something inside of our bodies and it becomes us. It becomes part of us. That's what Jesus is talking about. You had a taco last night. Today, that's part of you. Amen. That's uh, in there, uh, giving strength and vitality to your being. And, uh, uh, and it's in there. And uh, uh, so uh, no disrespect intended, but we're talking about ingesting the Son of God where He comes and dwells in us and our beings are linked where we become one with the living Son of God. Amen. Bill? Our relationship with each other as believers is almost a physical one because we're all part of the same body. It's not just relational, whereas in the world you had good bodies, but it's almost a physical relationship uh, like in America where you're emotionally and spiritually tied to one another. Okay, yeah, there is an experience, and uh, our brother's getting ahead of us a little bit, but he's, he's talking about a valid thought there that what happens is that, that every person that has experienced Jesus Christ has been made a new creature a new person old things are passed away behold all things become new that's a miracle of God and that enter, causes us to enter in to relationships uh, with one another that we could not uh, ever even touch before we were saved amen okay first John 3 1 first uh, John 1 3 through 7 Okay, so our ongoing relationship with Jesus is conditioned upon our walking in the light or our living a life that is pleasing to Him. If you, uh, if you got married, you had a uh, wedding ceremony, we married you in this place, and then you said, okay, see you later, honey, I'm going to San Diego, you have a good time over uh, on Cape Cod, and uh, we're going to, you know, we're just going to have this wonderful marriage. Well, that, uh, you know that the, a marriage doesn't survive that way. What happens if that marriage is going to survive, that each of you are going to have to do things uh, that please each other. As you, you know, you may want to get your own way and, and uh, you want to rule the roost and, uh, and order people around and get your way all the time, but your marriage won't survive that way. It's going to mean you're living 
to, uh, to want to please one another, and that's what causes your relationship to grow. Well, that's the same with Jesus. When we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, we don't simply say, well, see you later, Jesus. Now I got my salvation. Uh, uh, I'll see you in heaven. But it's from that point that uh, our lives, by a power that has come inside of us, that we begin to live a life pleasing to him. Amen. Uh, John 17, 3. Okay, Philippians 3.10. Okay, so what we're talking about here, again, is a knowing of Jesus. This is not just some uh, wonderful teacher that lives somewhere and we've decided to live our lives by his teaching and uh, some, you know, other people are going to live their lives by their different guru's teaching. This is not uh, a thing where uh, Jesus became part of this uh, uh, nothingness in space when he, uh, uh, when he ascended and so now we just kind of tap into that by eating Brussels sprouts or something. This is nothing of the sort. This is Jesus Christ alive, uh, living a person who actually will take up residence in people like you and me when we repent and put our faith in what he did on the cross. Amen. So our when we're talking about uh, fellowship with Jesus, this is the very beginning. This is the bottom line. This is the foundation for all fellowship. Amen. We cannot... Uh, have fellowship unless we've had this experience with Jesus Christ. Amen. If we fellowship with one another, we have the reason that we can fellowship one with another is because we have fellowship with Jesus. If we have no fellowship with Jesus, then we cannot have fellowship one with another. So you can't sit down and enjoy a meal with someone if you hate the food that they eat and vice versa. You may sit around and, and poke at your peas and, and uh, drink lots of water and, uh, and uh, try and make some kind of conversation, but you're not going to really enter into an experience of eating together and fellowship together if uh, when you sit down, one person loves the food that you hate or you love the food that they hate. And this is what we find here uh, in our relationship with God. See, fellowship, we can have fellowship because we eat the same food. Because the priests had fellowship, they ate the bread, that picture of Jesus Christ. We can only have fellowship one with another if we uh, have fellowship and a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. Fellowship uh, is made possible by our experience with Jesus Christ. This doesn't mean that we're this exclusivistic club that if you, uh, uh, you're not saved and you're, you're an uh, outcast and you're uh, uh, some uh, uh, other level of society and we don't talk or relate to you, but there's just uh, a, the reality that once you've been born again, once you've had an experience with Jesus, you've been made a new person. Your whole life has been transformed. Your values have been flipped upside down. You've made a new person and your whole perspective of life has changed and your whole perspective of reality has been altered and it becomes very difficult to enter into fellowship. Now, you can have relationship, 
But fellowship is something entirely different. See, the difference between a Christian and a sinner, a Christian has come to grips with reality. The reality of who he is, that he's a sinner. The reality of who Jesus is, that he is a savior. The uh, uh, Christian has come to grips with that. A sinner is based uh, on the fact that he's okay. There's a self-righteousness. There's a pride that says, I can make it my way. I can do it my way. I don't need that Jesus stuff. I've got to, my act together. Well, I, I really know I don't have it together right now, but someday I'm going to get it together. See, the totally different uh, foundation of life. Amen. See, the truth is our priority fellowship and relationship in life is with Jesus. This is your primary relationship in life. The primary friend that you have in life needs to be Jesus. And when this is your primary relationship, then that will affect all the other relationships that you have in life. If you're going to be a good husband, you better make sure that Jesus is your best friend. You're going to be a good wife. You better make sure that the Son of God is your best friend. Good brother, sister, friend, fellow worker, uh, son, daughter, brothers, whatever it might be, there, our priority is in this relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you and I are going to give of our fellowship, if we're going to begin to, to open ourselves up and share the intimacies of our lives uh, with someone that is going to destroy this, then it's, it's going to be impossible for us to have fellowship with anyone that would tear down our relationship with Jesus. Now, we can have a relationship, we can have friends, we, can, uh, we don't uh, go on the job, and uh, if we brush up against somebody that's not saved, we, and we just hide ourselves off, and, and we, we don't ever talk to anybody. You know, we're super spiritual, we're holier than thou, we're, you know, we're just so far out and neat, and we don't, we don't relate to anybody that, uh, that's not born again. That's not where it's at. But the reality is, is that there's it, it, fellowship is impossible. Not relationship necessarily impossible, but fellowship is impossible with anyone that would tear down your relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we have relationships with lots of people. We have relationships with our fellow workers. We have relationship with our neighbors. We have relationship with uh, members of our family. We have relationships with people that we encounter and, and uh, relate to. And, and this, is, this is true. But fellowship is something entirely different. Fellowship goes beyond just the acquaintance, just the, the sharing of, uh, of certain levels of communication. Fellowship gets down where we can share who we are. We share our lives together where we open ourselves up and we're real and we're, we're just who we are. And there's just, there's a point where that cannot happen. It just does. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying it can't happen unless you're relating to some, someone that has been born again. Our fellowship, who we relate to, who we spend our time with, who we share our lives with, uh, will affect our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, that can affect it for good.
David with the discontented man in the cave of Adullam. These were men that were distressed and discontented. They were in debt. These men were a mess. Their lives were destroyed. And they joined themselves to David. And through their relationship with David, they became the mightiest army and the finest warriors that Israel had ever known. See, our relationships together can affect us for good. Let's look at some other scripture. Mark 3.14. Someone over here, Ben Manzanares, Rob Kennard, uh, 1 Kings 19.21. 1 Kings 19.21. Uh, Acts 2. Uh, 44 through 47, Al Herman and Woody, uh, Psalm 119.63. See, 95% of your growth in Jesus has to do with your fellowship. You're going to be a lone ranger Christian. You're going to be a monk. You're going to split off into the woods somewhere with your Bible. Then you're not going to, uh, you're going to get really weird going to get really strange you know human beings we are, we're pretty strange by nature anyways the thing that helps keep us straight and sane is if we contact one another and fellowship one, uh, with one another this is true in the world that they found that uh, people if they remove themselves from society remove themselves from life something strange happens to their perspective of reality we need people to keep us in line and to keep our perspective straight. Amen. Okay, Mark 3.14. And they should be with him. Okay, here's Jesus. He's wanting to impact the lives of these disciples. And it says they shall, they were to be with him, a relationship with Jesus uh, uh, that would bring about good. Elijah, uh, Elijah in 1 Kings 19.21. Okay, so here is uh, Elijah. He comes and throws his mantle on Elisha and starts walking down the road. And there's an interchange that goes on there, but Elisha slays the oxen and, and feeds everybody around and takes off to follow Elijah. And we know the story that Elijah received double portion ministry out of that relationship with Elijah. Amen. Acts 2, 44 through 47. Okay, the very life of the early church. This is a uh, this is the end of Acts chapter two. We've seen three thousand saved. We've seen all of that. They've been baptized. Wonderful things have happened. And then our first picture of the church of Jesus Christ is one of relationship, of fellowship, one with another, that brought brought about great blessing in their lives. Psalm one nineteen sixty three. I am a companion of all them that fear thee. I'm the, com I, I'm the companion of all them that fear thee. He says there's something in my life. I, I want to have relationships with people who desire God, that my being around those people uh, helps me. Helps me go for God. It helps me in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It would be wonderful if you and I were so super spiritual. 
If we were so strong and powerful, if lightning bolts coursed from our fingertips, if, if uh, everything that we did turned to gold and, and we're just God's man or woman of faith and power, we didn't need anybody else in life. We just uh, strode through life and swaggering in confidence. Uh, but uh, that's not where it's at. The fact is we need each other. And you may think you're hot stuff, uh, but you start uh, uh, removing yourself from relationships and fellowship, and, and you're going down the tube. See, the banana that leaves the bunch is the first that gets peeled. Is that right? Is that how that goes? I could never get it right. But that we need one another. Amen. Okay. Let's look at uh, just uh, a few more scriptures and then I will open it up for any comments or questions. Uh, the Bible also warns of evil fellowship. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, Dwayne Renz, uh, Steve Welch, uh, Proverbs 24, 1, uh, Dennis, uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, and Bill Bronson, Deuteronomy 28. So in the same way that, uh, that our fellowship and relationship can mean good, our fellowship and uh, relationship with people can be extremely bad. It can do devastating things to our lives. It would be wonderful, you know, if all we were talking about is people that didn't call themselves Christians. I mean, anybody that goes to this church, uh, you know, just everybody has uh, got a halo on their heads and uh, they're just going for God 100% and, and so uh, no problem at all, relate to them, uh, spend all your time with them. Uh, but the fact remains that some people aren't going for God. Some people uh, are around to rip off people and to destroy lives and they're not going to live for Jesus they're going to call themselves Christian but they're going to live for themselves and for the fulfillment of their own lust and you like to hang around with them because you don't feel so guilty about the things you want to do and you go right down the tubes it happens time after time after time after time 1 Corinthians 5 9 through 11 Okay, Paul's saying, okay, look, guys, I told you not to hang around with fornicators. These people are sleeping together when they're not married. I told you not to do that, but I didn't mean that you don't ever relate to anybody that's not in the church. I was talking about people who did that in the church. You reject them and, and, and bring that discipline to their lives so they can get their hearts right with God. But if you're going to be a, a monk somewhere that's going to uh, walk on the other side of the street, if anybody that smokes dope or drinks beer or smokes a cigarette or, uh, or uh, cusses or whatever, you're going to walk on the other side of the street, forget it, you're going to have to get right out of the world. So I'm not saying you don't love people and care for people and minister to people that are in sin in the world. I'm talking about there's something dangerous. There's something deceptive when it's believers. People that call themselves believers that are involved in this stuff. And you don't hang around those folks because they'll get you. Okay, Proverbs 24.1. Okay, here's, uh, you know, just a little bit of wickedness looks like it earns a whole lot of money. 
Well, if we just join the mafia, we could really, you know, I could quit, quit working on this garbage truck. I might be able to get something halfway decent. But don't envy what wicked men have. Amen. There's more to life than how much money you make. It's like, first of all, it's who you are. Second uh, Corinthians six fourteen through eighteen. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Amen. Okay, quickly, Deuteronomy twenty eight. Okay, any comments or questions before we move on to other things? Dwayne? Okay, there's an experience of our uh, of fellowship that is not simply automatic just because you call yourself Christian. There's a walking in the light and there's an obedience and an involvement in living for God that brings that relationship to pass. Okay, excellent. Yes, it's. Uh, I went to my uh, little my my son's uh, little league game yesterday, and his coach said it. It's hard to soar with eagles when you work with turkeys or something like that. And uh, we have that uh, attitude. It's uh, hard to soar like like the eagles when you have to relate to all these turkeys. And uh, but the very fact is that uh, uh, we're all turkeys on this bus and uh, we, we really do need each other. Amen. And, and maybe we can do a, we can get a little soaring in if we'll relate one to another. But it's really easy to be critical of the people around us and not see the plank in our own eyeball. Amen. Anybody else? Good. See, this is how Jesus, uh, Jesus got really uh, slandered by this. Here the religious people come strolling by, turning their nose down on the, the sinners and uh, turning their nose down on Jesus because here's Jesus sitting down and talking to prostitutes. Here's Jesus talking to, to tax collectors. It's Jesus talking to sinners and to the religious person. It's like, ah, he cannot be a man of God. He cannot really have the goods. If he really knew what he was doing and if he had any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of sense at all, he'd walk on the other side of the street when those people came along. But see, that wasn't uh, the stance of the Son of God, uh, but he wanted to reach to people in their sin, in their desperation, in their loneliness, uh, in their crying out uh, for meaning and purpose in life. Uh, he wanted to reach out to them uh, and to touch their lives. Uh, and you could find Jesus uh, with the sinners uh, relating uh, and seeking to bring them to himself. Not there uh, doing their sin with them, you don't have to go to a bar and, and uh, 
drink a drink at Coors to win the people at the bar. You have to go and smoke some dope to win a doper. Say, oh yeah, I'm cool too. You can get saved. You don't have to do that. Amen. But you can, uh, but you don't remove yourself from their lives. Uh, reach out to them in love. Tell them about Jesus. Uh, show concern and care for where they're at. Genuine. Not just uh, you're going to put another uh, notch on your uh, gun. But you genuinely care about their lives. Amen. Praise God. Okay, we will move on next week. We've got to move into our church service. Thank you.